Good morning. Hope you're all doing well. I was thinking this week as I was preparing how cool it is that um, I get to be up here with you this week, the last week of 2017, and uh, it's also really cool because I got to start 2017, first message 364 days ago, so that was kind of fun. Uh, today I'm going to be sharing from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 10, and uh, we're going to be looking at a story of a man who comes to Jesus and asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. So I entitled the message, How Do We Inherit Eternal Life? Uh, So let's go ahead and dive right in. Let's let's read our passage today. So go ahead and take out your Bibles. Um, There should be some in front of the chairs in front of you if, if you don't have one with you. And as always, the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. So let's look at chapter 10 in, in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be reading 17 through 22. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, look today at this encounter between uh, this young man and and Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would uh, shine your light upon the truths of your word. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and that you would draw close to us as we seek you today. Thank you for the truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. I was uh, thinking about uh, the first few years of my walk with Christ this week. And I was thinking about the fact that I had been given this gift, the most amazing gift that anybody can receive in this life, the gift of Jesus. Looking back on it, I realized how much I needed a Savior and that Jesus was exactly what I needed. I was given salvation. I was made new. I was no longer dead, no longer found in the dark. I was found in Him. I was found in Christ. And being found in Christ was a truth that I didn't quite grasp at first. At first, my walk with Christ was lonely. Because I didn't talk with him much. I didn't spend any time looking for him in the word. And I wasn't sure that I wanted anybody to know that I was a Christian. At first I was afraid of what other people thought. I had a strong case of what we call the fear of man. My life, it changed, but it didn't change a lot. And looking back on it now, it seems so obvious. I wanted my sins more than I wanted God. I wanted the idols of my heart more than I wanted Jesus. 
And after a while, living day to day, uh, choosing something else over God, the guilt got worse and worse. And I started believing a lie. A lie that plagues millions and millions of people every day. How could God love someone like me? How could God love somebody who so easily chooses something else over Him? So then I thought to myself, well, I need to do something to earn His favor. I need to be better. I need to work harder. You see, this lie and what I believed is what we call a works-based theology. And a works-based theology is a counterfeit gospel that says Jesus isn't enough. I need to do something to help God save me. And that, my friends, is the opposite of the true gospel. This young man in our story today also believes in a work-based theology. He believes there's a checklist. And he's coming to Jesus to make sure he's got them all checked. So today I want to look at two questions and two statements from our story. So go ahead and take out your note sheets and let's, let's do this. Question number one. What must I do? Let's look at verse 17 again. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've been referring to this man as young. And I, and I do that because the Gospel of Mark isn't the only gospel that speaks of the story. The Gospel of Matthew tells a story, and so does the Gospel of Luke. And in Matthew, the man is referred to as a young man. In Luke, he's referred to as a ruler. Both Matthew and Mark say that he had great possessions. Luke, however, just says that he was rich. The term ruler implies that he was a leader, and it's most likely that he was a leader in the local synagogue. And so a curious thing here, it says that this man ran up to Jesus and knelt before him. In, in those days, this would have been a very, very unusual thing for a wealthy man to do. And so the fact that he runs up to Jesus and kneels before him seems to make this question very sincere. He really had the desire to know the answer. And he wasn't here to trick or trap Jesus. He asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Everything about this question is wrong. What does it mean to inherit something? So I asked Siri. <laughs> What's the definition of inherit? And she told me that to inherit something is to receive money, property, or title as an heir at the death of the previous holder. So I was thinking... You know, when my dad passes away someday, uh, me and my sister will inherit whatever he decides to leave us. There's nothing that we can do. It's just something that he gives to us. A person inherits because of their birth, and they inherit what some, somebody else has done. It's a very profound gospel truth right there. The answer is we don't do anything to inherit something. 
And so curiously, this is not how Jesus answers this question. Jesus, of course, answers a question with a question, which brings us to our question number two. Why do you call me good? Let's look at verses 18 and 19 again. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. Jesus points out here that only God is good. Very important to notice here that Jesus is not denying that he is God. Jesus wants to know if this man truly believes that he's God. This young man would surely know that only God is good. Jesus goes on to answer a weird question with what seems to be a weird answer. Basically saying, if you want salvation, just keep the law. The law was given in Exodus 20, verses 12 through 17. It says, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So Jesus' response here curiously looks like a works-based theology. So the question we got to ask ourselves is, does Jesus think that our works can save us? And the answer is a profound no. God gave us the law for one reason, and that was to show us how much we need him. His response is not an explanation of the plan of salvation. This response is more a plan of revelation. Jesus is trying to help this man understand how much he needs God. Jesus is trying to get him to see the reality of his sin. And we must see the reality of our sin in order to realize that we need to be saved from it. It is impossible for anyone other than Jesus to keep the law perfectly. Unfortunately, the young man completely misses it. Let's look at our first statement. Number three, he says, all these I've kept, I'm good. Take a look at verse 20. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So Jesus just told him that only God was good. And the young man didn't hear that. What he heard was, God is good. And his response was, me too. This man is completely blind to the fact that he needs Jesus. He thinks that he's earned his place in God's kingdom by keeping the commandments. And when a person deep down believes that they are their own God, or that their stuff keeps them safe and they don't need to trust in anything else but their stuff, they have no reason or need to rely on God. And so Jesus is about to show him not only that he hasn't kept the commandments, but in fact that they cannot be kept. Our second statement, number four, 
Jesus says, you lack one thing. 21, 22. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There's something I don't want you to miss. A really small statement in the middle of this passage. It says, Jesus looking at him, loved him. Why did Jesus come down from heaven and humbly choose to become a man? Why did he live the perfect life and why did he die a death that we deserved? And why did he make a way for us to be with him forever? Why? Because he loves us. You know it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whenever I read this, I'm always... I'm always thinking and trying to be clear when I read it to somebody else that it very clearly says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And a lot of people hear that whoever believes in him should have eternal life and then God loves them. God loves us. That's why he planned all of this from the beginning. And so this conversation Jesus is having with this young man is the reason he came to this earth. Jesus loves him. And Jesus wants to be with him forever. And Jesus loves us. And he wants us to be with him forever. Jesus clearly sees that what this man loves the most. And unfortunately, it's not God. This man loves his money. This man loves the security that the money brings him. This man loves the power that his money brings him. God should be number one in his life. But he clearly is not. His possessions are. And they are keeping him from having a relationship with God. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. It's on the wall. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus is after one thing. Jesus is after the heart. Jesus is always seeking after our heart. This young man claimed to have kept all the commandments, but Jesus is looking at him and saying, you don't keep the first half of the commandments. The first half that says to love your God with all your heart. Because you love your money with all your heart. And then he says you don't keep the second half of the commandments when it says to love your neighbor as yourself because you were unwilling to generously give to the poor. And if he had looked closely, he would have seen that he hadn't kept the law at all. And when we realize how terrifyingly impossible it is to keep the requirements of God's perfect and holy law, we see our need for somebody else to keep it for us. And when we realize that our good works, our best works, don't measure up, 
we have to find somebody's works that do measure up. The point of this text is not that the man should have chosen poverty over riches. Jesus knew where this man's priorities were. To be a Christian, one must lay down all their priorities. God didn't say being a follower of Christ was going to be easy. This story is not telling all believers that God wants them to be poor. He wants believers to realize that they can't serve both God and money. That they can't serve both their idols and God. God wants a relationship with us. And that relationship needs to be the priority over any physical relationship that we might have with wealth, with fame, with our work, with our spouses, our children, or life itself. The last thing we're going to look at is what this man missed out on. The end of the, the end of the passage, he misses out on an unbelievable opportunity. Jesus invites him to join his group of disciples, to follow him. But for this man, the opportunity was far too great a cost. Jesus says, sell it all, give it all away. Your treasure isn't here, it's in heaven. Come follow me. So where would Jesus have taken him if he had followed? The first place that he would have taken him was to the cross. Jesus is going to the cross. And there this man would have seen a Savior die. There, in doing so, Jesus would have shown him that there is nothing that he can do to make himself right before God. He would have shown him and he would have seen that his own goodness wasn't enough. That all of his works fall short. And he would have seen that Jesus is enough. And along the way to the cross, Jesus would have told him to take up his own cross. As Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I was doing the research this week and, and, and studying, and this, this whole passage made me think of another rich man. It made me think of Zacchaeus. We read about Zacchaeus in Luke 19. And Jesus is walking by and he sees this short little man up in a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus was also wealthy, but not so religious. Zacchaeus was a Roman tax collector and a fraudulent one at that. But something made this man climb up into a tree so that he could get a look at Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, Jesus called out to him, said to come on down for Jesus needed to stay with him. And the result of this encounter with Zacchaeus was the complete opposite of the encounter with the rich young ruler. As a result of it, Zacchaeus understood that he could not serve both God and money. 
The result of Zacchaeus' encounter was that he joyfully gave half of his wealth to the poor. And then with the other half, he repaid his fraudulent victims four times what they owed. I can only imagine there wasn't much left over. For the rich young ruler, the cost of following Jesus was too high. But for Zacchaeus, the cost of walking away from Jesus was too high. If the rich young ruler had followed Jesus, Jesus also would have taken him to forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22 Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Had he followed Jesus, he wouldn't have lost out on the forgiveness of all of his sins and reconciliation with the Father. Because Jesus' blood, his perfect blood, would have covered it. There are many things that, that Jesus would have shown him on his way had he chosen to follow him. Uh, but for today, this one last thing I want to look at is that Jesus would have taken him to his sufficient grace. 2 Corinthians 12.9 But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that he asked God to remove a thorn from his side three different times. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul is saying that God's divine grace is constantly available. God would not remove this thorn as Paul had asked, but he would continually supply him with the grace that he needed to endure it. And as we follow Christ, there will be troubles, there will be pain, there will be persecution. But God promises that he will continually supply us with the grace that we need to endure it. The rich young ruler chose not to repent. He chose not to turn away from his wealth. He chose not to turn towards Jesus. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves as we close today is what's capturing our hearts? Is there something troubling us? If there is, we need to go to Jesus. And if Jesus exposes an idol, an idol that we feel that we can't give up in order to follow him, we can't walk away. Repentance is turning from our works and turning towards God's work. And repentance isn't so much a doing, so much as it's a depending. We depend on God. We depend on the work of God because it's so much better than our own. So seek Jesus and we will, fi- we will find joy. And give away what's capturing our hearts if it's something other than Him. And then when we do that, we need to fill it with the treasure of Christ. As we close today, I want to look at Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. It says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for his blood. We thank you that his blood was enough to cleanse our sins and that it was enough to bring us salvation. Father, for some of us, we may need to recommit ourselves to you. And Father, we ask that you help us to identify the idols of our hearts. Whatever it is that we've put in front of you that is most important in our lives. Help us to give them away and choose you again. Father, create in us a clean heart. If you're here today and and you haven't put your life in Jesus' hands, if you haven't believed in him for your salvation, I want to invite you to do that this morning. Just pray this to yourself. Jesus, as much as I know how, I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my life. I believe you died for me and were buried for me and that three days later you rose from the dead defeating death for me and making a way for me to be with you in heaven forever. Lord, help me to know, know you and, and to love you and to trust you with all that I am. Lord, thank you for what you're doing here in the life of, of new creation. And we ask that you would continue to use us for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.